Today we conclude a four-week series on discovering the kingdom of God, and I hope it's been a beneficial journey for you. During week one, if you'll remember, we saw that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, his gospel includes the good news of forgiveness of sin, praise his name, but it actually is greater than we first imagined. Jesus Christ invites us to consider the possibilities of changed lives here and now on this earth as we pray together that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In week two, we discovered that the values of God's kingdom differ radically from the values of this fallen world. And that's not really a surprise, is it? Uh, You know, this means that for followers of Jesus, we have radically different priorities in our lives. Would you agree with that? And week three, we, we explored the Old Testament. We discovered that the gospel of the kingdom of God is hidden inside the Exodus story and inside King David's story. We also discovered that Isaiah prophesied about a glorious and eternal kingdom that would last forever and ever. Now, in this final week, uh, perhaps we, would, we could take some time to use our imagination about what it would be like if we truly lived as subjects of King Jesus as he was Lord over every area of our lives. How would your world be different if you lived today under the complete lordship of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And not just us individually, but how, also how about how would our lives be different together as a community? Because a kingdom is a community. Amen. Thank you for the, all three of you. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. With God's help, we're going to explore some questions today. You'll notice that I use the word imagination. Okay. And this is an important word because in order to experience spiritual transformation in our lives, we must be able to see and believe that there's a new way to live. Would you agree with that statement? I think that that's one reason why Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see God's kingdom. He said that in chapter 3. Jesus talked about seeing the kingdom of God. Then he talked about entering the kingdom of God. That has to happen as you believe and are transformed from the inside. And it all starts with this new birth, which enables us then to see God's kingdom and experience it. Now, to be able to effectively see and enter God's kingdom in our day-to-day lives, you know, it requires a good bit of sanctified imagination. Would you give me that? I wonder then if you'd be willing to play along with a little exercise with me this morning. Would you like to play along? Oh, thank you very much. Right here, we are gathered, and as we are gathered together here this morning, I would like to ask you just to imagine the answer to a very simple question. It's a very important question, but it's a question that all of us must answer. So just play along with me. What if tomorrow morning when you woke up, you found that heaven had come to earth? What would it be like in your world if you woke up tomorrow morning and heaven had come to earth? What would your world be like? Now, I'm asking you to to imagine heaven on earth. In the past, I've preached a message to you. Actually, I've preached several 
uh, that, that talks about the end of time and, and how God will make heaven and earth one and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will all have freedom in our new glorified bodies to travel instantaneously from one part of the kingdom to the other. But use your imagination for just a moment. The rules of this little exercise are very simple. Heaven has come to earth. Just go with it, okay? Heaven has come to earth, so the new heaven and the new earth have now been established. But for this exercise, let's just assume that you are still you. You're the same person, right? Because truthfully, you know, um, the character that you develop on this earth is the personality, the character you take with you into, into glory, right? We are souls more than bodies. Would you agree with that? Okay, but but you're still you in this little exercise. Every day your life still goes on. If you're a student, you're still a student. If you have a job, you still go to work. If you still live in your neighborhood, you're still among your neighbors. But now use your imagination to consider how exactly has your world changed? Can we begin to wrap our mind around that? Let, let me Let me read to you some actual responses of people who have been asked this question, this is how they responded. We have them up here on the screen. One of the quotes was, if heaven came to earth, sickness would turn into strength. Wouldn't that be a wonderful, glorious day, huh? Heaven's nature would begin to alter the workings of earth and wipe out all the impure creations of man. And we have many, right? Here's another one. God would be everywhere God would, God himself would give you advice, spend the day with you, make sure everyone was fed, and most importantly, share his wisdom with all of us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Another one, no one would be lonelier without a companion. You know, there's a lot of loneliness in this world, and sometimes it's silent loneliness. Here's one, life with my daughter would change for the better. I would not feel that sense of silent discrimination from those who live in glass houses we would not be the topic of whispers about a situation people truly know nothing about. We, we would not suffer judgments from those people with ample imperfections of their own. Obviously, there was some hurt in that response. Here's another one. This little town, what some would call a boring place, would flourish with excitement, love, and unified happiness that we were living amongst the living God. <laughs> no one would have to suffer because in God's home, you can find everything you need. You agree with that? Famine would be completely erased. Sadness would be no more. Not one tear would be shed. This, this next one, the people on earth would be 100% stress-free. How many of you want that? Yeah. No one would ever need to worry about anything at all. They would laugh and carry on as if they had no sense of time or worry, and the normal stress I feel in my chest and head would be gone. <laughs> Here's the last, last couple. How could you be sad with so much love and compassion around you? Or the last one, you could be yourself with the living Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Can, as we read those responses, can you just kind of feel the hope beginning to rise within you? These are actual responses to when that question is posed. The question is the invitation to consider what your world would be like if God answered the prayer that we have found. He 
taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Theologians did not give these answers you just heard, okay? They were some real answers from some real people, some who may not have even been Christians. But permit me to hit the pause button of this little exercise in imagination for just a moment and remind us of what Scripture teaches us about heaven, okay? Holy Scripture bears out that in the fullness of time, the plan of the ages, when it comes to completion, that the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and the new earth, the redeemed, restored earth, will be established right here and then heaven will encompass both, okay? The glorious reality of heaven as it is now, but also the totally restored earth when God makes everything new, amen? And as I said, all of it in totality will be reborn as God establishes his presence among the redeemed. And while the word of God gives us clues, the reality is our finite minds will never completely be able to get around the sheer grandeur and beauty of it all. But listen, listen to this. If this fallen earth is going to be restored and redeemed, just think of the most beautiful scenery you've ever experienced, the most gorgeous sunrise, the serenity of the beaches, the invigoration of the mountains, and you multiply that by more times than your human mind can grasp. The new heaven will be an incredibly vibrant place. Agreed? Okay. The Bible tells us that heaven is actually a material place. It's a, it may be a whole lot more like earth than you and I can imagine, but at the same time, it's a whole lot less like earth than you and I can imagine. It's, the, it's an actual material place, and the Bible says it's going to be the new heaven and the new earth, okay? And that every good thing that we have ever experienced here is just multiplied exponentially there. It is perfect there. Can you imagine if you're a surfer? Riding the perfect wave every single time. Any of you surfers? I can't imagine that. I would drown. But uh, no. But if you love nature, can, can you imagine a perfect sunset? A perfect waterfall? Can you imagine perfect relationships with every single individual? No suspicion, no jealousy, no doubt. That's the joy of heaven that we can look forward to. I don't really know how to say it any more succinctly than that. But that's the wonderful hope we have as citizens of the kingdom of God. Servants of King Jesus. Amen? Heaven will be all the best that we can imagine of home. It will be a home that we all long for. You know, our homes are not perfect here. And they're not permanent. We, will long, we, we long for a perfect, permanent home here, but that home is really only found in heaven. It's the one that we long for. It's the one that some may have never experienced on this earth. The Bible talks about heaven as being the home that we look forward to often. Hebrews eleven sixteen says they were looking for a better heavenly homeland. Philippians three twenty says, but our homeland is in heaven. That's our ultimate home, right? Psalm 1, excuse me, 1611 says, you, talking to God, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
Heaven is a place of eternal pleasure and eternal joy. And one of the ways that you and I make it through the realities of this life, the suffering, the struggles of this dark worldly kingdom, even the evil that we have to face in this kingdom of darkness as our country has faced in the last few weeks, one of the ways we make it through that is to realize that this is not all there is. Amen? This is not the best it can be. This is just the preschool. We can look forward to something far better and far greater. A place where bodies are restored and redeemed and are imperishable. Don't you want that? No more aches or pains, right? A place where there's no pain, no remorse, no suspicion. A place of tranquil joy, deep satisfaction, genuine fulfillment and pleasure. A place where every day there's more yearning for the next, and each next day there's more joy and happiness than the day before. Sometimes we just need to grab hold of that truth and remember this life is just not all there is. However, the glorious promise of this series that we've been in is to attempt to remind us that God's design is to give to us a foretaste of that. In the here and now, to just just get a little foretaste of that as He works a little bit of the kingdom of heaven into our everyday lives right now. But just so, these, the answers of these real people that we saw, we just quoted, back to, let's get back to our imagination experiment, okay? These, these quotes demonstrated this for us, that most people have the seed of the kingdom of God already within their hearts. You were created that way. They they intuitively have at least a concept of what the coming of God's kingdom looks like. You see, the good news isn't just solely about going to heaven when you die. It's about what Jesus has done to bring heaven here to earth now. Amen? Amen? Pastor John Ortberg has said it this way, and I quote, Salvation is less about getting you into heaven as it is about getting heaven into you. That concept kind of changes your perspective, does it not? Heaven does not get into us accidentally. So You don't just fall down the stairs and all of a sudden stand up and you're transformed, right? Okay, I just check and make sure your theology is with me. It takes spiritual discipline to put the words of God into practice. To not only surrender to the King of Kings, but to live in obedience to the King of Kings. Amen? And it's astonishing how many Christians think that no one can ever really put Jesus' words into practice. But it is possible. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And those who begin to to do so, they start to grow and experience the peace and the joy that he promises. And it's even more astonishing to see how people think that because the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most practical, powerful sermon in the New Testament, Jesus preached it. Best sermon in the world, I guess you'd say. But because it was poetic and, and beautiful words, you know, they somehow think he did not expect us to actually live by that. So remember, we began this series by paying close attention to what Jesus said about his kingdom. We discovered that right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.10, Jesus instructs us to pray that his kingdom could somehow find expression right here on earth. 
Then in that very same chapter on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 33, he commands us plainly, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, then all this other stuff will be added to you. So that's a very practical thing. First, there's the praying. Then there's the seeking. Those are very practical things that within our reach, we can do that. Amen. We can pray. We can seek. You see, there's a grand future awaiting each of us when we determine that we are going to put the words of Jesus into practice. And yes, heaven is a part of that because in our future, you know, we're going to get to heaven together as as believers in Christ. But we don't have to wait until we die in order to see the beginnings of this grand future and experience that. Does that make sense? Listen to the words of Jesus as he closes this Sermon on the Mount, okay? You'll recognize these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus is preaching, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against it, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, you've heard this before. These words are well known. I think everybody wants to build their house on the rock. Would you nod your heads with that? No one wants their life's work to come crashing down around them, right? But there's a very important question that we should ask about Jesus' parable here. What is the rock? What is the rock? Be careful how you answer that. Many people answer that very quickly and say, well, Jesus is the rock. And to be sure, there are many places in Scripture where Jesus is compared to a solid, firm rock, but that's not the answer we're looking for here, okay? Other people might answer, well, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is the rock. It's always a good answer, but you've got to live your life based on the precepts and principles of the Word of God, but that's not the answer either. Not in this case. What is the rock in this story that Jesus tells us? Look closely again at our text. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So in this case, the correct answer is putting Jesus's words into practice. In this particular story that Jesus tells us, it's the only difference between the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. So think about this. At the end of this great sermon in the New Testament, Jesus challenges his listeners. By the way, who are his listeners? We are. Amen. He challenges his listeners to actually try to put his words into practice. Now, notice Jesus does not command, demand complete and perfect obedience. He says practice. I love that. (laughs) He invites us. To put his words into effect and practice is a good place to start. Would you agree with that? So, so listen, you know, we're not, not any of us are perfect. Amen. But we've been given a goal by Jesus himself. It's found in the word of God to put his words, his precepts, his principles into practice. 
The way you build your life on a firm foundation, one that will not be destroyed by the storms of life, is to do the very best you can to live according to the words of Jesus Christ in all of your life. Everything that Jesus talked about previously in chapters 5, 6, and 7 are given to us for life in His kingdom. It would do you very well this week to go home and meditate on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, okay? Now, a wide array of biblical scholars call the Sermon on the Mount the constitution of the kingdom of God. (laughs) Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, is really about the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon by Jesus is arguably the greatest, most practical sermon ever preached. And he wrote the book on that. But the great sermon of Jesus is all about, catch this, what we've been talking about, living God's kingdom in the here and now. Amen? Amen. The Lord's instructions to us reveal the value of God's kingdom and the practices of his citizens, his kingdom subjects. Jesus is teaching us all a new way to live in a new kingdom, Almighty God's kingdom. Dallas Willard was a pastor who spent his life teaching on the essentials of spiritual formation. He invited his listeners to take Jesus' words, and this is his quote, put them to test in real life. That's exactly what Jesus is doing at the end of this kingdom of God sermon. He's saying, go ahead, put my words to the test. When we put those words, those precepts, those principles into practice, we will discover the blessings of heaven will begin to break into the here and now of our everyday lives. Amen? Now, you can't see the things of the kingdom without the Spirit of God living inside of you. Some things are not revealed unless the Spirit reveals them to you. So if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ... That's a good place to start to put these words to the test. Jesus Christ is the master of living, living the right way right now. Amen. If you've never trusted Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, perhaps you could try something like this. Pick any of the teachings of Jesus. Take him seriously. Put his words to the test. Put them into practice and watch what the living God does for you. If you've already begun a relationship with Jesus, part of the good news of the kingdom of God is that we can begin to experience what Mark 10.30 talks about, the powers of the age to come. We can begin to experience those right now. And to be sure, there will be some things that we will only experience in heaven. God is saving it for those that time of eternity. But I suspect that there is far more righteousness, according to Romans 14, 17. There's more righteousness, peace, and joy available to us right now than we may really suspect. Put my words into practice. The Apostle Paul, quoting the Old Testament, entices us with these words. What eye has seen, no eye has seen. What no ear has heard. What no human mind has even conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. So this really becomes the final question for believers and seekers alike. When does eternal life begin? When does eternal life begin?
The surprising answer is it begins right now. Right now. You are already living one choice or the other. You're either living for Jesus or you're not. You're either on your way to glory or you're not. When does eternity begin? It begins right now. I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Even if you don't already know him, there's much more to taste in the glorious kingdom of God. We serve a faithful God. And I want to have prayer for all of us, okay? Would you just bow your heads with me? Our gracious heavenly Father, there are times in this life when we just don't know which way is up. There are times in this life when we surrender to you and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts that we are pricked in our heart because something is taking place that is not really pleasing to you. Something in our conscience, something in our psyche, something in our walk with you is challenged and we need to stop and pay attention around us. Are we putting the words of Jesus into practice? Life can become very complicated. Thank you that we don't have to handle all the issues of this life alone. You have promised to never leave us or forsake us. Life can become very disappointing, but thank you, Father, this is not all there is. There's a greater glory awaiting each of us, and you have tried to give us sneak peeks of that, even as we live this life seeking to practice your words. Today, Father, for every individual who's asking for forgiveness, give them a new joy they've never known before, and may they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But for those of us who have been walking with you for a while, God, would you encourage us today and and simply give us a new sense of joy and blessing as we realize that there's so much waiting for us as citizens of the kingdom of God. And this world's values are so completely different than the values you have instilled in us. But God, fight our battles, defend our values, go before us, I pray. May we take a stand for you. May we practice your words true. Sometimes we fall flat on our face trying to do that. But may we get up and continue to practice your words, living for you, sensing the powerful presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords in our midst. We are your children. May we never forget that. And as a people, may our lives bring glory to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we ask it. And all God's people said, Amen.